are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. The first reading today comes from Psalms 34, 1-4. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And then the next reading comes from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Phoebe, thank you for reading scripture for us this morning. It was so good to hear from you and to see you. Now, Don't be shy. How many of you picked dessert as your favorite Thanksgiving food? Or how many of you picked a vegetable that disguises itself as dessert on Thanksgiving? Maybe something with some marshmallows in it, some extra sugar or butter. Whenever we are with my dad's extended family for Thanksgiving, one thing that everyone looks forward to is Uncle Don's homemade ice cream that he brings. He makes it the old-fashioned way with rock salt, and he brings it in the house in this big leather bag with drawstrings at the top. And everyone is always way too full, but we all eat some, and we don't regret it. You know that food and the images and memories that are associated with it play a significant role in our memory, and this is verified by science. Susan Whitborn, who's a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts, observed this. Says what food memories are more sensory than other memories, and that they involve really all five senses. So when you're that thoroughly engaged with the stimulus, it has a more powerful effect. Most of us have a memory of food that takes us back to childhood. And one of those memories for me is going to this little ice cream shop in Champaign, Illinois, where we were living at the time. And some summer nights, as a special treat, we got to go to this ice cream shop after my dad's church softball games. We would arrive all hot and sweaty from playing on the playground or out in the grass near the ballpark. And I was no more than four or five years old, but I have a distinct memory of the orange custard from Jarling's Custard Cup. It was this little walk-up spot with a bunch of picnic tables out front. And one particular night, I remember being handed my orange ice cream cone with a giant maraschino cherry on top. And in great anticipation, I grasped the cone and almost in slow motion, watched the cherry fall onto the gravelly pavement. This was an early lesson in discovering that life doesn't always go as expected. Many of us learned this lesson long before 2020. But at the risk of sounding too much like Captain Obvious, 2020 has not gone the way that anyone expected. 2020 were an ice cream flavor. It might be as inedible as dirty snow. The cherry hasn't just fallen off for most of us. The ice cream isn't even edible. And this is not at all to make light of our experiences, but I do think that humor is a tool that God has given us to cope with things that are difficult to understand or process. And now this week we get to Thanksgiving and the holidays, and you could approach this season and 
would have thought that words like quarantine and shutdown would be long gone from our vocabulary. Maybe you didn't think this would be over, but you would have anticipated that we would be moving towards some kind of new normal as a society. That maybe we'd be heading back to offices by now, or schools, or family gatherings and dinners out. And instead, we find ourselves in a very different reality, even as the governor made announcements in this last week. We are all living in this reality together. My husband Jeff and I's Thanksgiving will look a lot different as we get together with his parents and sister instead of the usual crowd, the usual hustle and bustle, the longer conversations about who's bringing what and arriving when. And no matter what your plans are this year, I imagine they look different than you expected in this new reality that we find ourselves living in. As we open up God's word together this morning, I want us to turn our attention to a Thanksgiving meal that's in the Bible. Now, while the American Thanksgiving that we picture with turkey and stuffing, mashed potatoes and green beans started in 1621, I want us to picture a very different Thanksgiving meal today. Imagine that you walk up some narrow stairs into a room with large archways, hard floor and walls, the sound bouncing off. But it's not a cold room. It's filled with sounds of laughter and small talk with your close friends. There's a low table on the floor set with plates of olives, some flat, thin bread without yeast in it, small bowls of parsley and another paste made from some fruit and nuts. And there's a glass of wine at each place setting. There's soft cushions to sit on around the table. And you've never been in this room before, but you feel at home after a long time of travel to get to the city to celebrate this meal. Perhaps you figured out from the scene that we are at the Passover meal with Jesus and his disciples. Passover was a meal of remembering when God freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Much of the food that they would eat, some of those things I mentioned, those would represent part of the story that they would remember out loud together as they ate it. They didn't need a scientist to help them understand the power of food memories because God had already given them instructions. You can learn more about this story in the book of Exodus, and especially in Exodus 12, where God gives instructions for celebrating what is also called this Feast of Unleavened Bread. But this Passover meal in particular was a special one because it would be Jesus' last one with his friends while on earth. And we call it the Last Supper. Now, if you grew up Catholic or in a more liturgical tradition, you may also know it as the Eucharist. And what could be new to you, as it was new to me recently, is that we get the word Eucharist from the Greek word Eucharisteo, which means Thanksgiving. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 22, where we will learn more about this unexpected Thanksgiving. Each year, Passover required Jewish pilgrims to travel to Jerusalem. Now, don't think pilgrims with black hats and bonnets here. There are tons of people that would flock to this city. Crowds would fill the inns and the streets, and Jesus knew that his time on earth was limited. He had a special place prepared for his disciples to have their Passover meal together, secluded from the crowds. 
Luke tells us that the place was secured by following a man with a water jug. Then there was sort of a secret code of sorts to alert the owner of the house and let them know that they were the right guests. And so they recline at the table and Jesus starts speaking. If you look at Luke twenty-two fifteen through 16 with me, it says, And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I imagine looks of confusion and distress around the table, furrowed eyebrows, like what is Jesus talking about? And then he picks up a glass of wine. He gives thanks. Eucharisteo. He says, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom of God comes. Now cue more confusion. He picks up the bread next and all eyes are on him. What is he going to say now? Well, he takes the bread and he gives thanks. Eucharisteo. And he breaks it in half and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The room becomes silent as the disciples around the table let this sink in. They slowly pass the broken bread around the table, processing what's just happened, chewing and thinking and wondering. They continue eating the rest of the meal and gradually the noise level comes back up but it's still more somber than before. And then after supper, Jesus picks up another cup. And again, Eucharisteo, he gives thanks. He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The cup of death and someone is going to betray you? They began to question which one around the table would do this. This sacred meal, a holy remembering meal, has taken an unexpected turn. But do you hear what Jesus is saying? Taking the cup, he's saying his death is inseparable from the new covenant which is what will restore his people back into right relationship with God and remove their sins as far as the East is from the West. And in this message, there is both sorrow and joy. These two things are inextricably connected. This is the hard Thanksgiving, the hard Eucharist and not only do we find the word thanksgiving in Eucharistio, we also find the root for the word joy, kara. Anne Voskamp, one of my favorite authors, writes, deep kara is found only at the table of the Eucharistio, the table of thanksgiving. You see, in this life, joy and sorrow are inextricably connected. They cannot be separated. They're like a yarn that is knit together, like this. This beautiful blanket, the yarn is knit together and the 
The threads cannot be separated. At a family baby shower in the backyard this fall, I unwrapped this blanket. The colors of the yarn are so neatly and tightly woven together. This is a blanket that my grandma made. My grandma passed away from breast cancer when I was a junior in high school. And when I hold this blanket, I feel so much joy around the idea of wrapping our little Christmas baby in this beautiful blanket. It's like a piece of my grandma's heart is right here with us. And I also feel sorrow that my grandma isn't here. She would have loved the commotion and excitement of having a great grandchild. Joy and sorrow. And I cannot fathom the depth of sorrow that Jesus must have felt that night at the table, knowing the full extent about what was going to happen. Later that night, he would pray in the garden for the Lord to take the cup from him if it was at all possible. His disciples who were with him could not stay awake. It says they were exhausted from sorrow. Isn't sorrow exhausting sometimes? But Jesus' prayer would not be answered that way. Later, that same night, he would be arrested, tried, and crucified. And yet, in the midst of an unimaginable sorrow, there is infinite joy. Do you remember at the beginning of the meal with his disciples? Jesus was anticipating that he would be reunited with them in the future. At a great messianic banquet table. If you've seen Harry Potter, this is what comes to mind. We have the big table with the candles and the abundance of food. There is going to be a great messianic banquet table. And he will be permanently and physically united with all those who trust in him. Jesus could know both joy and sorrow because he knows the rest of the story. He knows that it doesn't end in death, but there is a resurrection life ahead, not only for him, but for everyone who places their trust in him. Jesus also shows us how grief can give way to gratitude. Isn't death all around us? There's the reality of physical death. Many due to COVID, but also others related to illnesses and diseases and mental health. There's also so much loss, a death of sorts. The loss of dreams and expectations about what 2020 would be. Lost jobs and income. Lost opportunities and the list goes on. And what I've become so acutely aware of is that we as a culture do not know how to grieve. I was on a Zoom call with friends this past week because that is how we hang out now and there's already grief in that. But there's also gratitude. We each named just one thing that we were grieving. And it was hard. It was hard to say out loud the thing that at that moment we were experiencing the loss of. Today I'm grieving that I can't say goodbye to you in person. As I prepare to leave the Y Church in the next week or so to stay home with our baby, it is so hard that I cannot see you face to face and tell you what it has meant to grow with you in Christ these last two years. 
But in my grief, I am so thankful for each of you, for the ways that you have ministered and cared for me, for the ways you have already loved our babies so well, for the honest conversations, laughter, volleyball games in the gym, Wednesday nights, all of it. I'm so grateful that God allowed our paths to cross for this time. And isn't this what we experience as we are in Christ, both grief and gratitude? I don't know what Thanksgiving will look like for you this year. I don't know what those specific things are that you are grieving or that you're grateful for, but I encourage you to write them down, to pray through them, and to give all of it to God, both the things you're thankful for and the things you are missing this year, because Jesus can hold all of it. Just as he held the bread that symbolized his broken body and the healing found in him, just as he held the cup that symbolized both death and forgiveness. Jesus holds both our grief and our gratitude, our hard thanksgiving. People who follow Jesus closely, including David and Paul, who wrote the passages that we read earlier today, they understand that joy and sorrow are inseparable. They understand that grief gives way to gratitude and they understand that giving thanks in all circumstances is not the same as giving thanks for all circumstances. We heard from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 from Phoebe that says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And guess what word we find for give thanks? Yep, Eucharisteo. Can you see Jesus holding the bread and the cup at the table? It's important that it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. I think we can get this confused sometimes that in does not equal for. There are things in life that God never wanted us to experience. We live in a world that we know is broken because of sin because of the consequences of our own choices and because of the sin that entered the world when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Death, pain, pandemics, broken relationships, none of it was part of God's plan. But does God use those things to draw us near to him? Absolutely. What we can't miss this Thanksgiving is that we can say thank you to God, not for those things, but in the midst of those things. We can stop and take time to see the good that God is bringing out of the bad, the joy that he is sustaining us with in the midst of sorrow. We can give thanks in all things because as we trust in God, we too know the rest of the story and it doesn't end in death, but in life. Did you know that when Paul is writing these words to the church in Thessalonica, that they are in a place of grief because of the loved ones they have lost? If you flip back to chapter 4, Paul writes in verses 13 and 14, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of humankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 
we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Our hope is in God. And because of that, we can give thanks in all things. And with David in the Psalms, we can sing praises of thanksgiving to our God. We can extol him at all times. His praise can live on our lips. And even those who are afflicted can hear and rejoice. We can exalt his name together from our couches and kitchen tables. And in our fears, we can seek the Lord and he will comfort us. We don't give thanks in all things alone either. When Paul wrote these words, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, he's writing to a community to encourage them with these words in the middle of the trial and persecution that they're facing. I've been reminded more now than ever how much we need community, even if we are physically separated. In the last week, as I delivered gift bags to student ministry, I had the gift of so many conversations on doorsteps, conversations that went like, this is hard, but I'm so thankful that. Things like, it's hard that my kids can't play sports right now, but I'm thankful that we had a short season. It's hard that my kids are on distance learning, but I'm thankful that they have a friend who can come over and they can work on it together. I've been so encouraged in my own life to have this perspective of gratitude as I have talked to you and your families. As we close today, there are two things that I want to encourage you to do this Thanksgiving. The first is this. Practice naming the places of grief or sorrow and also name how you've seen God move in those places in your life. Where are the places of Eucharisteo? You can write these out in a prayer to God if you like to journal, or maybe you're more of a list maker or you want to do this with your families. So on one side of the paper, you can write the word grief, and on the other side, write gratitude. If you're doing this with kids, you could also write something like sad and thankful. You can make a list of things that you're grateful for on one side and things you are missing this week on the other. And nothing is too small. And then you can cover it with the word gift as you remember that both our grief and our gratitude is a gift because it can draw us closer to Jesus as we trust in him. And the second idea is this. This week, when you get together around the Thanksgiving table, however unexpected it might look this year, take time to Eucharistale to give thanks in your prayer for Jesus' death and the hope that we have in his life, his resurrection. Will you let your food and memory taste the bread and the wine of the Last Supper as you pass the rolls or sip on your coffee? Will you think even for a moment about that night in the upper room when Jesus shared a Thanksgiving meal with his disciples? Will you remember his sacrifice on the cross that gives us the hope of eternal life with him? A seat at that messianic banquet table. Because this is why we can be thankful in all things. There is no greater gift, nothing more important than knowing Jesus as our God and Savior. And if you 
haven't taken that step of faith yet, maybe this Thanksgiving is exactly the time to do that. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God, this Thanksgiving, we hold before you our joy and our sorrow, our grief and our gratitude. And we give you praise because you are big enough to hold all of it. And we put our hope and our trust in you because you have overcome death. And that is the greatest promise, the greatest hope that we could ever receive. We thank you for that gift. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.